0: Deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators.
1: Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. A football season often mirrors the trajectory of a roller coaster, with soaring highs and some challenging lows. The Gators certainly dipped into a valley on Saturday in Fayetteville, but as they return home for senior day against South Carolina, they remain in control of their own destiny to reach the SEC title game, and there is a lot still on the line. In preparation for a very unique senior day in the Swamp, Today, we'll find out how coming from a football family shaped Brian Cox Jr., learn about the growth of the young wide receiving core from assistant coach Kerry Dixon II, and hear about the ever-evolving Florida-South Carolina rivalry from the voice of the Gators, Mick Hubert. But first, just as his dad did before him, Brian Cox Jr. has become a force to be reckoned with as a dominant defensive lineman. The redshirt senior played his first game in the Swamp for Will Muschamp back in 2013, And in a strange twist of fate, his final contest at home comes against Muschamp. That's one of the many senior day storylines we wanted to discuss with Cox. But we began by asking about the mood in the locker room following the numbing loss to Arkansas.
2: Uh, It's elevated our play. You know, everybody's got a little bit more hungry. Um, Everybody knows what's at stake and what needs to happen in order to achieve what we're trying to achieve. So the mood is up.
1: When you talk about the bigger goals, is that talk now about the SEC East and knowing that Atlanta's on the line the next couple times you guys go out?
2: Uh, Definitely. I mean, we still control our destiny. Um, We just got to, you know, take care of business from here on out and everything should fall in place.
1: There have been so many injuries lately, especially on the defensive line. As we sit here, you've got your your cast on. Uh, How difficult has it been getting through this part of the year with not just yourself but so many
2: teammates really going through some tough times? I mean, it's football, you know, the game of football is a lot of injuries, a lot of injuries happen. Um, so you just kind of got to, you know, suck it up, next man up and take it one day at a time.
1: What's it like playing with the the club on your arm? Because I watched you at Georgia. Yeah. It, it's something else to see. What, what's that like trying to make tackles like that? It's
2: hard. I mean, not going to lie, it's pretty hard. Uh, basically, you essentially only have one hand because the other hand is just kind of like almost like a stick, like you can't grab with it. So you're just kind of like poking at people. Mm-hmm. And um, it's hard to kind of generate power with it. A little bit, but um, I found a way to do it. How has it affected the, the way
1: that you play? Have you had to almost figure out a new technique in uh, playing yeah. with one arm?
2: <laughs> Definitely. Uh, basically, the new technique is don't get grabbed <laughs> because uh, <laughs> it's hard for me to disengage in certain situations. So I just tried to be as slippery as possible and not get grabbed.
1: You talked about this after the George game, and I'm curious if you could elaborate on it. Just the idea that you and Jared Davis and Joey Ivey and all these upperclassmen going through some some really tough injuries – The fact that you guys have been persevering and getting on the field and playing despite all of this, what kind of example do you think that's sending to the younger
2: players that upperclassmen are are giving so much to the team? Uh, I mean, I think it sets sets the bar. We're trying to give it everything we have, you know, despite our injuries or whatever we may be going through. But um, I think it just gives those guys another reason to fight because you see us out here fighting and we're all beat up and hurt. And, you know, the guys that are healthy – you know, that should give them even more reason to fight because we're fighting for them. If we can go back to the beginning for you, tell
1: us about where you grew up and about your family.
2: Uh, I was born in East St. Louis, Illinois. Um, That's where, like, the main portion of my my dad's family is from. Um, But we were living in Florida at the time. I was born in the summer, so I guess my parents were just, you know, up there visiting my Mm -hmm. my pop's family. And uh, he was playing for the Dolphins at the time, so we were living in Pembroke Pines. And then from then on, just a lot of moving, you know, a lot of moving around. Any
1: siblings? Any other? Any family members outside yeah, I, your parents?
2: I got four sisters, four sisters, uh, two moms. Got a stepmom and a real mom. Uh, my stepmom basically raised me since I was about six. So basically, I have two moms. You know, two sets, three sets of grandparents. Mm-hmm. Um, got a pretty big family.
1: You mentioned your dad, and most people know your dad is Brian Cox Sr., coach for the Atlanta Falcons, and obviously played for a long time in the league. What impact did he have on your getting into football? Was it always just a foregone conclusion you were going to play, or did you kind of have to develop that love for yourself?
2: Uh, I mean, I got into it pretty early. I started playing when I was like six, you know, just basically trying to be like Pops, you know, seeing what he did every every uh, day in and out, you know, just trying to be like him. So I started doing it about six years old and then just grew to love it as I got older.
1: Were you always going to follow in, in those footsteps in terms of the position and play on the defensive side of the ball? or I mean, where, where did where did that mindset come from?
2: Uh, I mean, mainly throughout high school, you know, Pop Warner and stuff like that. Obviously, I played both sides of the ball. But I started focusing mainly on defense probably my junior year of high school. Um, I was still playing a little bit of tight and a little fullback, but mainly defense. As you kept progressing through from playing
1: Pop Warner into high school and going on, what was the relationship like with your dad in a football sense? Was he instructional? Was he motivational? Like what was that like and how did it change over the years?
2: It definitely went from a little bit more motivational to a little bit more technique and instructional as you would say. Um he tried to critique, you know, how I played and stuff like that throughout high school and, you know, try to get me better.
1: You mentioned all the different places that you moved around growing up. I'm curious which ones left an impression on you? What was your favorite place to
2: live throughout your uh your very eventful childhood <laughs> i would go with my home like i would think if i'm thinking like my only home i would think of uh georgia when i was living in georgia uh we were living there me him and my mom and then that's when they had got they separated and then that's when i met my stepmom and i was there for probably about four years straight and that was like the longest i'd ever been at <laughs> one place you know for that amount of time so i'd probably say georgia
1: When you're moving around that much, does football almost become your refuge in a way? Because, you know, you're moving around, changing friend groups. Does football sort of center you in in that sense?
2: Uh, It's definitely centered me. It almost became my identity because, you know, moving around all those different schools, you know, picking up friends, dropping them, you know, as you go. Mm -hmm. So the one thing I I held on to was football.
1: What are your memories of of growing up around NFL locker rooms and and being a part of that
2: environment? Uh, It was very eye opening um i got to meet a lot of players that would now be considered greats and uh it's you know it's been pretty cool i mean i guess you could say that being around all those guys and all those coaches was pretty nice
1: which were there any certain players you interacted with that that had a particular impact
2: on you well ray lewis he helped me when i was a baby so when my <laughs> yeah when my pops was coaching for the dolphins he used to my my dad kind of mentored him and um he used to come to the house and stuff like that when i was really young He used to hold me and stuff.
1: When you're going through the recruiting process, what swayed you to come to Florida? Why was Florida the right choice for you?
2: Uh, It just felt like family. Uh, You know, from the first day I stepped foot on this campus, everything just felt welcoming. Um, The coaching staff was awesome. You know, I just connected with everybody, and it was just positive for me.
1: I'm sure I'm the first person to ask you about this, but that same coaching staff is on the other sideline this weekend, Uh, many parts of it. What is that like for you and, and for your teammates that are in the same position of going up against the guy who recruited you on your senior day?
2: Uh, it's definitely crazy. Uh, I mean, I don't know how often something like this has happened, mm-hmm. but it's definitely, I feel like, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, you know, going against the same coach that brought me here. You know, I'm forever grateful to Coach Marshant for everything he's done to me for me, and um, it's going to be definitely a, a sentimental feeling. Joey Ivey talked
1: about this a couple days ago, but I thought it was interesting. He said he still has great relationships with all those guys, and he can't wait to see them, but that all of that has to wait until after the game. That up until that point, that there won't be a lot of conversation beforehand. You're not going to talk during the week. It's Everything's out there on the line. And then once it's over, then you can talk and, and be friendly and all that. I mean, can you just... Describe that dynamic for me as, as you prepare for this weekend.
2: Uh, yeah, it's definitely all about business, you know, this week. Uh, we got to go out there and get the job done and do what we have to do. But uh, definitely, you know, football aside, uh, those guys have made a great impression on my life, you know, bringing me here. And um forever grateful to them. As you
1: prepare for senior day, what goes through your mind when you're trying to process what that means and
2: the stage that you're at in your career? Basically, I'll never play another play in the swamp, you know, after this game. So it's uh, definitely a very, very important thing to me. And I hope it's equally as important to my teammates that may not be in the same position that I'm in, being that this is my last game. Um, Hopefully they they can, you know, see that and give it everything they have for me. Coach Mack talked about that a few days ago as well. He said that Senior Day is
1: not just about the seniors. It's about the younger players understanding what it means to give everything so those seniors have the proper send-off. Have you felt that from some of your, your younger teammates, that sense of urgency?
2: I uh, definitely have, you know, this week. They know it's at stake, so it's not really too much to be said about it. Uh, they know what's going on, and we've got to go out and execute. I'm curious,
1: if you could go back and give yourself advice
2: as a freshman,
1: what do you know now as a redshirt senior that you wish you had known when you first came
2: on campus? Uh, don't take anything for granted. Your years here, however long you're here, go by very fast, you uh, know, you got to enjoy every every part of it and just take it day by day and don't try to rush things. When you think about those things, what stands out to you as some
1: of your best memories of your career here at Florida? Uh, the people
2: I've met, uh, met some of my best friends at this school. Um, just, you know, the feelings I get running out of that tunnel, you know, every Saturday, it's just a, it's a blessing. And it feels, you know, I'm honored to be able to call myself a Florida Gator for life. There's so many
1: moments that make up a career on the field and people remember the games and then everyone always wants to know what was your favorite game or what's your what's your best memory of being on the field? Is there a certain game that stands out to you that you really remember?
2: Uh I remember a lot of games honestly. Uh I could probably vividly you know tell you how some of the plays went of the games that I remember, but probably the one play that stands out to me even though I didn't actually score was the Tennessee play where I stripped Josh Dobbs last year and uh picked it up and they let me run, so I ran. <laughs> so we talked about players who've impacted you
1: as far as NFL guys. You've had the chance to play with so many players here that have gone on to the NFL. Which one of those former teammates do you feel like had the biggest impact on you and, and
2: why? Uh, when, I was, when I first got here, uh, Sharif Floyd and Dominic Easley, they were like they were the big dogs on the D-line. So it was just kind of like you know, seeing those guys, how they worked every day and how they approached practice and how they approached the game. Uh, I picked up a lot of, you know, different things from them. And so I would say that affected me a lot. And then even in my class, uh, Jonathan Bullard and Dante Fowler, I learned a lot from those two guys that are, you know, in the NFL right now. So I learned a lot from a lot of guys.
1: Now that you're in a position of being one of the wise old guys, a lot of the younger players look up to you. Which players do
2: you think you've had the biggest impact on on this team? Jabari Zuniga. I mean, he's my roommate whenever we go travel, whenever we go to the hotel. So I always talk to him, break down some film and I give him little tidbits and, you know, different little things on the game.
1: Zuniga's been such a breakout star this year and it's been an important part of a a deep rotation you guys have on the line. What does that mean to have so many players who've stepped up throughout the year
2: and, and made that one of the strongest units in the team? I mean it means a lot, you know, obviously we're in the SEC so that means trench warfare. Um, you gotta have you gotta be able to rotate guys in and out on the D line, uh, to come back. You know, all the tough running and all the tough, you know, players in the SEC. So it's great that we were able to develop great depth. You know, there's no drop off from the one to the two. So it's good. When you think about going to the
1: next level, how much thought have you given to the idea of maybe playing for your dad? Obviously, Dan Quinn likes you a lot. Your dad <laughs> likes you a lot. Do you think about that in terms of where you might go? Not
2: at all. Not at all? Not at all. Really? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Uh, Man. Possibly real tough on me, man, real <laughs> tough on me. So that's definitely. I mean, I'll be you know grateful and happy wherever I go. But I know for sure if I do ever happen to end up playing under him, he's <laughs> he's gonna make <laughs> sure I get it. He will. Yeah, he will get every ounce out of you.
1: If we can bring things back to this game here this weekend, given how familiar you are with South Carolina's staff, does that give you any sort of tactical advantage in the game to where you feel like? You'll know what they're going to try and do in a certain situation. Uh,
2: barely. I mean, obviously, since they know that we may be able to pick on some of, up some of their old stuff, they're going to change a lot of things. So we might not see, you know, what other teams have seen in the past, just because our familiarity with the staff. So I'm looking forward to it, but you know, we just got to go out and play our game. Most Gator fans don't know a lot about South Carolina
1: outside of the fact that Muschamp is leading them. What have you learned about them during this week so
2: far, and what your expectations are for Saturday? Um, well, they like to sit in shotgun, and you know they like to do a few different things out of twelve personnel. That's their favorite personnel, and they like to you know get in different pictures. So we just gotta you know communicate and have our heads on swivels, and we'll be good. Final thing for you as you prepare to come out of that tunnel and you'll have your
1: family out there waiting for you. You'll have some flowers to, to give to your mom. What do you imagine is going to be going through your your mind as you prepare to run out of that tunnel for the last time? Uh,
2: just how grateful I am. Um, you know, I wouldn't want to have my career go any other way. I've enjoyed every last second of being a Gator, and, you know, it's just thankful for Gator Nation for accepting me and, you know, rooting me on every, every week. So it's just been an awesome experience, and I wouldn't want to have it any other way.
1: Most fans inside Gator Nation and around the SEC came into this year with a full understanding of how critical Antonio Callaway was to the offense, but they didn't know many other receivers on the depth chart. Jeff Cardozo caught up with wide receivers coach Kerry Dixon II to get his take on the progress of his emerging unit, but began by asking
3: how the coaches approached the players following a tough loss. Well, you know, every week is a different week, and that's how you have to approach it. You know, of course, the guys felt down, and uh, I've been extremely impressed by how they've came out this week and practiced.
4: When you look at uh, some of these guys, too, and, you know, we remember back when we played, you're almost dumb enough to to forget about that stuff. So is it good that they're young and they're able to forget about that stuff pretty quickly?
3: Yeah, you know, I think that's the nature of society today and our young people. They get over stuff extremely faster than we do, (laughs) and uh, that's been one of the things that I've noticed so Getting over it and being able to overcome has been something that's been preached all week.
4: So when you when you talk about the week of practice, there has been a bounce in their step. They're, they're ready to go for, for Saturday?
3: Oh, extremely excited for the opportunity to get out here back in the swamp for the last time this year.
4: Now, obviously, a new quarterback now with, with Luke Del Rio going down last week, familiar with with Austin Appleby. Are these guys, does it make a difference who's out there at quarterback, or is it go about and just do their jobs?
3: Our guys just go out and do their jobs. Whoever back there, we have confidence in them, and uh, we're going to play to a high level for them.
4: I know uh, Coach Mack has talked about it doesn't matter who's back there at quarterback. Some of the other guys need to step it up, and that's O-line and running backs and and certainly your group at wide receivers. So what are some of the things you prepare this week to get them ready?
3: Uh, We just have to put them in position to be successful, and when you're in that position – Anytime you get a chance, you should dominate the guy across from you every single time. And uh once we get everybody on one accord, uh it'll be very successful.
4: Your group is certainly familiar with, with what Will Muschamp can, can do on defense and some of the things that he can throw out there. Does that help at all? Does that make a difference? Uh no, we just watch
3: film and whatever we see on film that's what we have to go off of. You know, coaches we have different philosophies based off of who we have. You know, you might have some similarities, but we have to focus on what we see on film. And that's how we, were prepared, we prepared this week.
4: It's, uh, it's senior day in the swamp too. So that's always big. And, and I know, you know, you've got one of, the, one of the seniors on your team and Ahmad Fullwood, he's gone through a lot here at Florida, but it really seems like over the last three or four weeks, he's starting to figure things out.
3: Yeah, Ahmad Fullwood has done a great job. He's turned into a leader in the room. Uh, He's bought into his role all season long on special teams, whether we ask him to have a hard block on offense. You know, he came up with a couple of good catches uh, this past week. You know, I'm just excited for him and what he's done this year.
4: Is it something where it just finally all of a sudden clicked? Did he realize things are starting to go down to the wire while all of a sudden uh, some playmaking ability?
3: Yeah, I believe, you know, consistency comes from doing it over and over again. And I'm the first coach he's had for two years. And uh, I think that has a lot to do with it. And he's bought into the program and he's done everything we've asked him to do.
4: Another guy doing some great things right now, Chris Thompson, another older guy and um, special teams. We've seen now the impact on kickoff return and certainly what what he's been able to do for your squad too.
3: Yeah, he's a very unselfish kid. Uh, He's willing to do whatever it takes to help us win. And uh, I'm extremely excited for him. And all that he's done, uh, you know, it just makes us all better.
4: We've seen some of these other guys start to develop too and, and get a little bit better. And you got Freddie and you got Josh and you got Tyree, although banged up a little bit. But how have you been pleased with their progress?
3: You know, it's amazing the progress that they've made over the past couple of weeks. Just their knowledge of the game, their understanding of techniques. And um, it's really helped us and it's going to help us in the long run. I'm just excited to have those guys. I'm extremely excited that they're Gators.
4: And when, when they start to develop, when, when you start to see some of the things you can do, that's got to excite you at that position, doesn't yeah,
3: it? Yeah, it's extremely exciting for me because now there's no hesitation. Uh, does he know this or does he know that? You know, I can feel free to throw him out there for anything, and uh, I know they'll execute.
4: And that's a big part of it too. A lot of people don't think about that, but it's almost like if you're not thinking, yeah. then you're going to be more successful. Is, is that right?
3: Yeah, when you're thinking, you play slow. But when you know what you have to do, it's just like going to take a test. Mm -hmm. If you study and you understand the material that's in the test, then you're going to perform well. It's the same thing with football. When you go out there and you understand and you know what you're supposed to do, the faster you'll play.
4: And then Antonio Callaway as well. I know some frustration sometimes on his part, maybe not as big as a role as he wants as you guys try to get him going, but he, he's certainly uh, still right there and one of the best out there, isn't he?
3: Yes, he's definitely one of the best, and uh, I love his preparation and the way he goes about his weekly business. And he's coming along as a leader, uh, extremely excited for him and just ready to see him continue to grow.
4: What are some of the things you want to see from your guys out there on the field?
3: I just want to see maximum execution. I want to see domination anytime they get in a one-on-one situation. Um, And that's what I expect, and that's the standard of the room. November will no
1: doubt be the month that defines the 2016 season, and Florida badly wants to change the first impression they left on that page of the calendar. We sat down with Mick Hubert to preview the path ahead for the Gators and discuss the intricacies of this matchup with the Gamecocks. But we begin our conversation by looking at what lessons the Gators can take away from their stumble in Fayetteville.
0: Well, it got off to a very difficult time when you consider the first play of the game last week. You're down 7 to nothing. But, as I did think at that moment, you know, when's the best time to have a pick six against you? probably the first play of the game because theoretically you got 59 other minutes you got 75 other plays but that was also a part of the problem the Gators didn't get 75 other plays they couldn't get enough offense they didn't stay on the field making enough first downs nor did they get Arkansas off the field this matchup last week was a game between Arkansas number 1 in the league time of possession Florida number 2 time of possession Both teams had the same strategy. The week before, Florida had the ball for 37 and a half minutes against Georgia, kept Jacob Eason off the field. Mm -hmm. Well, Arkansas was going to try and do the same thing, and Florida was going to try and keep, you know, Austin Allen and Arkansas off the field. Arkansas succeeded. The Gators didn't. The Gators had their season low 20 minutes. They had a season low number of plays in the game, you know. So, you know, they, they just didn't get enough offense going and obviously the injuries were piling up as the game was going on, so they never really able to stymie Arkansas one way or the other.
1: Coaches give this this tried and, and true line of it's one week at a time in college football, and, and you get a different team every week, a different game every week. This really illustrated that because I think there were so many opinions of Arkansas formed based on the 56-3 loss to Auburn, but then what happens is you have a bye week and you totally change the narrative within the team, And they have a whole new motivation. They're coming back home. I mean, in a lot of ways, it almost set up as as a trap of sorts for Florida. You knew Arkansas was going to be better than what they showed at Auburn.
0: You know, know, I think you're right. I I think no one is invincible. And yet I say that until someone beats Alabama, (laughs) they look invincible. Yeah. But it's a... Tough time for the Gators to play at Arkansas because you're never as bad as your worst game, you're never as great as your best game, and they're coming off their worst game, most humiliating defeat in school history, losing 56 to three, two weeks prior. So yeah, they had an extra week physically to heal, mentally also to heal, and you know they were challenged for. 14 days by Brett Bielema to get physically tougher because they had not won the line of scrimmage this year, which is very unusual for a Bielema-coached Arkansas team. Uh, they were not winning the line of scrimmage on defense nor on offense. So that was the number one goal they had, and they beat the Gators. At the line of scrimmage. They did it right from the start, and it never really changed. They controlled the line of scrimmage both ways. So the Gators were walking into a very tough environment uh, when you're playing a team like that that just got humiliated the week before. And, uh, you know, you're, you're going out to a place that uh, even even some of the people at Arkansas said doesn't really feel like a conference game because we don't play each other that often. Mm-hmm. You know, it's only the fourth time that we had been there since 1992. So, uh, you know, it's not making an excuse. It's just the fact that uh, – you know, they were they were a little bit better mentally probably going into that game than Florida was, and yet the Gators had everything to play for and still do, still control their own destiny in this Eastern Division. But now as we get into the second game of November, that just makes this game, the stakes even higher, besides all of the uh, the dressings around the game being senior day and Must Champ being back in the swamp and all of that. It's a game you have to win at home to keep your dreams
1: alive. I love stats. I love numbers. I know you do as well. When you have a game like this that subverts so many of the expectations based on the numbers you just said, Arkansas came in one of the worst defenses in the league and they just they hold Florida to what was it 12
0: yards rushing? Is that right? Yeah, 12 yards rushing. So, hold
1: for, yeah, hold for 12 yards rushing. Florida came in. We talked about leading the league in third down conversions, did that so well against Georgia, one for 11 in that game. Does a game like Arkansas almost make you question? how much we rely on stats and numbers to guide our understanding of the way
0: these matchups play out. Well, I think that's all you really have to go on when you're, when you're talking about a game. I mean, a, as an announcer, I sit there and look at all the stats and the numbers all week long and to get myself in position to be able to use those stats at the right times to illustrate what we're seeing on the field and amplify all that. That's really all we have. Uh, so you want to make sure you're studying the right stuff and the right numbers. Uh, obviously in this, uh, Last election we just had, no one (laughs) had the right numbers at all, which tells you how silly some of the pollsters and stuff can be like that. And Mm -hmm. while we're not pollsters, sometimes uh, in in this line of profession, you become prognosticators and you really don't know. Uh, That's why the game's always played on the field, not on paper. Uh, Sure, the Gators should have converted 50% of their third downs and they made one out of 11. Uh, Arkansas was given up 49% on third down. And they stopped the Gators 10 times out of 11. You scratch your head. You say, how does that happen? Well, you know what? It's, it's a game played by young people. And you can't ever figure it out. These aren't robots out there. These aren't, this isn't the old-fashioned video game where you can turn <laughs> them on and, and they would vibrate all over the de- desktop and table. Uh, these things are happening. That's why they're upsets. You mentioned the unique circumstances surrounding
1: this game, becoming Senior Day when it wasn't ever supposed to be, the fact that, well, Muschamp is on the other sideline. I guess let's first talk about that factor, just the idea that Muschamp's return to the Swamp comes on Florida's Senior Day against some of the players that he was so instrumental in in bringing to Florida.
0: The irony of ironies, really, uh, because Will has recruited uh, a couple of dozen of these guys, still close with them, uh, you know, even though he's on the other sideline. And, and when, they, when they kick it off, they will be enemies trying to battle on one another. But, but they realize that, hey, four years ago or five years ago, he was in my living room talking to mom and dad and grandma mm-hmm. and grandpa and all those kinds of things during the recruitment process. So there is that bond there. Uh, they'll always be that way. Uh, and yet the last time that South Carolina's team came to the Swamp, that's Will Muschamp's last game as the Gator head coach because the Gators imploded in the last three minutes of the game, had two kicks blocked, and Steve Spurrier goes off with a winner 23-20 in overtime. So, uh, you know, who would have thought that 24 months later that Will's coaching again back in the Swamp for the other's team with still some of his old players here? So it's it's just really kind of juicy when you look at it in that regard. Uh I'm certainly happy for Will's success. He brings a team in here right now that's playing awfully well. Uh, They use their bye week well. During their bye week, they got themselves in a mental condition where they said, hey, we're going to roll out some of these freshmen, and they go with Jake Bentley, a freshman quarterback who still should be a high school senior. He left high school after three years, so it wasn't like he enrolled in in, in January where where he played his fourth year of football. He didn't even play his fourth (laughs) year of high school football, so that just shows you what he's doing right now. And if he had enough throws to qualify for the league leaders, he'd be the number one passing quarterback in the league. His efficiency numbers are at 170, and uh, now when you're talking about a passer rating in college, when you're looking at about a 170, You're looking at Tim Tebow's years, Danny Werfel's years. That's where the numbers were at for those guys. Even Chris Leak was around 150 or so. Uh, And those are some of the better years by Florida quarterbacks over the last 20 seasons. Well, this kid's at 170. And, uh, you know, the the last game, uh, Luke Del Rio, was about 94. So our quarterbacks this year are at about 116 rating. This guy's at 170. So, uh, you know, they're playing well. Their freshman running back, Rico Dowdle, has averaged 121 yards rushing in the last three games, which coincides with their three-game winning streak. And in that three-game winning streak, they're converting 42% on third down for the year. It's 32%. Uh, you know, for the year, they were averaging 14 points a game until – the last three games, are averaging 30 a game. So you can just see their offensive numbers. Obviously, their confidence is up. And, uh, you know, I'm happy for Will because uh – uh, he's a good guy, and uh, we we were all sorry to see him go, but we realized uh, the circumstances, what they were, the change had to be made, uh, needed to be made, and it was, and it wasn't an easy choice to, to do what what had to be done. But nonetheless, uh, Will is a good guy, and, he, and don't forget, he's coming back to his hometown from right here in Gainesville. So uh, he's coming back, and uh, I can just say on a personal note, he treated me great, with great respect, and I enjoyed working with him. The TV shows, the radio pregame shows, the call-in shows, uh, we had a very good relationship, and I uh, was also able to have that relationship with his wife Carol, who's a just a lovely lady, and uh, and I'm I'm happy for his family. Now I want him, kind of like when Steve Spurrier was coaching South Carolina, mm-hmm. I kind of want him to win all time, except when he's playing us. Like he's playing us Saturdays, so I hope we I hope <laughs> we drill him. <laughs> That's just the nature of competition. But he is a good guy, and uh, you know he's trying to get his team bowl eligible with five wins. They so need one more. So that's why the Gators have to play well in this game, and I I, I see no reason to believe the Gators won't come out and play very well in this game Saturday at high noon. It's fascinating the way this rivalry has sort of evolved. It didn't used to be a
1: rivalry, Florida-South Carolina, and then Spurrier gets there, and that adds a unique element to it, and now this whole other angle of Muschamp and and the way you talked about just all the factors coming together. I mean, this is kind of an interesting rivalry now that's developed where there didn't used to be one.
0: Yeah, and you could kind of almost parallel that to Arkansas. Now, it's different from Arkansas because they're in the Western Division and we won't play them every single year. It'll be five years, six years before we play them again. But if we were playing Arkansas on an annual basis, now that rivalry would probably jump up. Why? Well, because we'd beaten them nine straight years and now they, have, now they finally beat us. Mm-hmm. Well, the same is true in Florida-South Carolina series. The Gators totally dominated South Carolina when they came in this league. Until Steve got there. And then, uh, you know, he almost beat us in 2006 in the national championship team. It took a tremendous block field goal to win that game in 06. And then four years later, he comes back in in 2010, beats the Gators in the year in which he wins the Eastern Division. So, yeah, that, that really kind of uh, heightened the rivalry with South Carolina a little bit because, quite frankly, uh, like I said, from 1992, their arrival into the league until Steve got there until uh, Fourteen years until two thousand six. It wasn't much of a rivalry. We we were spanking them pretty good. So, in in
1: your mind, does this stay a rival now as long as Muschamp is there? I mean, d- does that element make this a rivalry just for that reason?
0: Well, I th- I think it it does. It does for the foreseeable future. Uh, you know, uh, even even next year. Uh, will will still have some players still in this program. So certainly when we go to Columbia next year, it'll be, it'll be that way. I I don't know if we get into year three how it will be. But it, it's likely to be, as long as Will is the head coach of South Carolina. We'll, we'll take this rivalry, I think, to to another level a little bit. And then let's not forget that we're always going to play them every year because we're trying to beat them out for Eastern Division Championships. So that's what's great about our schedule. There's always a certain hook almost for every single opponent, certainly when you look in the Eastern Division, even when we play a team like Vanderbilt because every Every time we go play Vanderbilt, it's, you know, Vanderbilt plays the Gators really well. Mm -hmm. And the truth of the matter is they play them really well about 30 or 40% of the time. (laughs) But it seems like every year Vanderbilt gives us trouble. But if you go back and look, since I've been here in 1990, no, they don't. We kick them quite a bit. Uh, But there has been some games where, yeah, Vanderbilt's given us all all we could want, including beating us in the swamp a few years ago. So, uh, again, when you're playing a division rival, there's always a hook uh, for for that particular opponent, at least – at least in my, in my mind, when I'm preparing for a broadcast. At some point, I think we all hope, we will not have to talk about
1: quarterbacks all the time. And yet, here we are, still trying to find that quarterback. And, and it seems like we've been having this conversation here since the Tim Tebow era, and, and now it takes another turn. Austin Appleby is going to start this week. Felipe Franks is going to be the number two guy with Kyle Trask, quote, in the bullpen, as Jim McElwain says. And, and now with, with Luke Del Rio Hurt, and a chance for someone else to make an impression, especially if it's a freshman. We continue to see this this carousel turn around.
0: Well, let me let me uh, give you an analogy on this, and, and I'll, I'll look to the Chicago Cubs. If ten years from now the Cubs don't win another championship and they and they have a couple of losing seasons in there, uh, do you think ten years from now those Cub fans would say, you know what, it was all worth it, winning that? 2016 World Series Championship, I'd put up with the last nine years of not being very good. I don't think they'd be happy with that. But right now, (laughs) they'd say, you know what? We waited 108 years to win the World Series. So if we're not very good for the next 10 years, we're okay with that. You can say that now, but 10 years later, after going through that, you're not so happy. What's the parallel? Well, you had a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback in 2007, and he helped you to win a national championship in the year prior and the year after, 06 and 08. But since Tim Tebow has left, there hasn't been a whole lot to brag about from the quarterback position. So a lot of those people have said, we got a Heisman Trophy quarterback and a national championship. We're okay if we're not very good offensively <laughs> for the next eight or nine years. Well, guess what? What are they saying now? We just, happened, we just happened to go through the last seven or eight years where it's not been a whole lot of fun offensively. So uh, it's always about, really, what Jim McElwain says, and that is win the now. Mm-hmm. Because as important as World Series championships are and Heisman Trophy championships and national championships of football, those are all great. But what about the now, which is the good and the bad of sports? The good is you get a chance to compete. The bad is, what have you done for me lately? And so (laughs) while you win a championship next year, a lot of pressure on the Cubs because they got a very young team coming back. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, they're going to be the big bullseye. Well, really, the Gators have had, uh, as as much as Alabama, uh, the Gators have had a big bullseye on their backs for several years. Now, obviously, the bullseye is on Alabama, rightfully so. But it wasn't really until Nick Saban, beat the Gators in that 2009 championship that his program really took off. I mean, yeah, they got there in 08, and the Gators beat them in 08, and then they got back in 09, they turned the tables, and they won it. But that's when his program really took off. And so you've got to win the now. That's why, uh, you know, when you look at these freshman quarterbacks, mm-hmm. everybody would love to have both these players around four years from now. But in reality, probably one of them probably not going to be here four years from sure. now. And, in fact, if you're the head coach – and you don't win enough, you're not going to be here four years from now. <laughs> so, while no one really likes to, on paper, take a red shirt off a of player's back in November, right. if he can help you win today's game, which is Saturday, <laughs> if he can help you win the next game, then you got to do it. Because uh, kids want to come in and play now, and other teams are playing freshmen now. And like I say, you, know, you can build for the future, and you need to have a game plan, and you need to build for the future. But you have no future if you don't really make progress in the now. And so that's why uh, I hope Austin Appleby comes in and plays lights out and no one else has to play at quarterback Saturday. But if he were to get hurt, and God forbid, we have to play one of those two freshmen, hey, you know, maybe one of them will come in and, and light it up. And there's still plenty of games left. I mean, when you talk about you still got a chance to win the Eastern Division. So you got Saturday's game, you got LSU game, you got the FSU game, you got a bowl game there's a chance for a quarterback here to get a month's worth of experience for sure, and not when he goes into spring practice in March and goes through spring practice and goes through August. And if he's he's named the starting quarterback, whoever that he is, if he's named the starting quarterback when we go play Michigan and Dallas in early September next year, He's going to have four starts under his belt. So you're not going to be scratching your head saying, oh, boy, we we got got concerns at quarterback. Well, not if this kid can come in and play. Now, obviously, it's not going to be Apple because he only has the one season left. This is it for him. But if if one of these freshmen get a chance to get their moment and seize their moment next week going to Baton Rouge and then going to FSU and then playing a bowl game, (laughs) that's some baptism under fire. But that should make them better when they get to take that first snap next September. And uh, like I say, you, you want to win the now and uh, you got to do what you have to do to win this game Saturday, because as, as Steve Spurrier once said, this is the biggest game of our lives.
1: If one of them does play, what what precedent do we have for a true freshman under
0: center for Florida in, in recent history as you think back on it? So in 2003, Chris Leak was a true freshman. And I remember we got, went to Kentucky and, uh, you know, got behind 21-3 in the fourth quarter. And that may have been his first, probably was his first SEC road start in Lexington and uh, we're down 21-3 and we miraculously rally and win the game 10 years prior of course it was a redshirt freshman Danny Werfel who was rotating there alternating with Terry Dean but ended up uh, it was Danny Werfel that, that that got us a victory when he threw the touchdown pass to Chris Doring in the 93 game so uh we've had some freshman quarterbacks play but uh you know I don't think any of them have played uh, their first game like it's possible that one of these two young mm-hmm. men, and likely Frank, since he's the number two guy, I don't know that we've ever had a, a true freshman who enrolled in January who plays their first game as a Gator quarterback in November. <laughs> you know, that would be a first. That would be kind of like uh, a player getting his first hit of the season in the World Series. Oh, Kyle Schwarber did that. But that just happened. That just it's, happened. T- it's 2016, the year anything can happen. That's right. So, <laughs> Carl Schwarber plays in the opening day lineup against the Arizona Diamondbacks, gets hurt when he runs into Dexter Fowler in left center field, is out for the rest of the year, doesn't play again until the World Series, and there he gets his first hit of the season, and it had never been done before. Expect the unexpected, (laughs) right? That's what we love about sports.
1: And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to Gator Tales on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher and leave a review to help us continue to grow. Remember to catch the Gators and Gamecocks on Saturday at noon on CBS and listen on the Gator IMG Sports Network. Our next show comes your way next Thursday as we preview Florida LSU. For real this time. So until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in the swamp.